This episode is brought to you by Merrick Pet Care. We have a dog. Her name is Sasha. She's almost four. She's a standard poodle. She's got curly, fluffy, soft black hair, and she's very adorable. And she's a part of our family, and we care a lot about taking good care of her. And that includes feeding her high-quality dog food like Merrick's. Founded in Hereford, Texas, Merrick has been crafting high-quality dog food for over 30 years. Real is Merrick's recipe. They always use deboned meat, fish, or poultry as the number one ingredient. Merrick creates homestyle recipes like Real Texas Beef and Sweet Potato or Grammy's Pot Pie, so you can feel good about what you're feeding your pet. I mean, you know, you come home from being out, and your dog is there to greet you, and, like, that's one of the best things about having a pet, you know? You come home, the dog's happy to see you, and they're hungry. And you want to reciprocate that good feeling they give you. When you walk in the door, you want to give to them in the form of some high-quality food. So check out Merrick online or in your local pet store and look for their new packaging with real ingredients shown on the bag and inside it. This episode contains explicit language. What are you going to make me? A Negroni. Mm. Would you like one? I would love one. Great. Do you mind if I get my wine? No. Thanks. This is actor Stanley Tucci with his wife, Felicity Blunt. In April 2020, about a month after the start of COVID shutdowns, he filmed this video where he's making a Negroni at his home in London. How are you? And I'm back. All right. So, a fair amount of ice in a shaker. Whoops. All right. Then what you want is a double shot of gin. Actually, it was Felicity's idea. She's the one filming. She thought it'd be fun to make a video to send to her work colleagues, a way to cheer them up during lockdown. A shot of sweet vermouth. And use a good sweet vermouth. A single shot of Campari. And then she says, why don't we put this on Instagram? And Stanley says, sure. Shake it up. Maybe it's the way he shakes the cocktail or his very tight black polo shirt or his wry smile when looking at the camera. But when this video posted, people got excited. And there's that. Now, you want to garnish it with a slice of orange. A pre-slice. One commenter called the video the most erotic thing in the world. Another said, I want Stanley Tucci to manhandle me the way he slams down his cocktail ingredients. The reactions only got more graphic from there. And there we are. That's that. You want it, Felicity? That will never happen. I gather that you have read some of the comments and reactions that came to your Negroni video. Uh-huh. What did you make of all that? I was flattered. I mean, people were so nice and complimentary and, you know, all that sort of sex stuff, too, which was we, we thought was quite lovely. <laughs> This is The Sporkful. It's not for foodies, it's for eaters. I'm Dan Pashman. Each week on our show, we obsess about food to learn more about people. This week, I'm talking with Instagram's favorite bartender, Stanley Tucci. That Negroni video turned Stanley from noted actor to the guy everyone wishes they could have dinner with. In his new CNN show, Searching for Italy, he eats his way across that country. New Yorker writer Helen Rosner described it like this. 
He strolls the narrow thoroughfares of Florence and Naples with the physical eloquence of a dancer, at once smoldering and restrained. He gazes at wheels of cheese and swirls of pasta as if the food must be seduced before it will consent to be devoured. Taking a deep whiff of Parmigiano-Reggiano, he moans, he sighs, he murmurs. The whole thing verges on obscene. It's been a long road, Stanley Tucci's role at age 60 as a keeper of carnal pleasures. In the 90s, you might have seen him in It Could Happen to You or A Midsummer Night's Dream. In the 2000s, his profile grew. He was in The Devil Wears Prada, Captain America, Spotlight, and The Hunger Games. Food has always been a big part of his career. In 1996, he co-wrote, directed, and starred in the classic foodie film Big Night. And if you've seen Big Night, you know that only a person who really loves food could have made that film. We'll get more into it in a bit. He's also written multiple best-selling cookbooks. And now he's released a memoir, Taste, My Life Through Food. When he joined me via Zoom from his home in London, I wasn't surprised to hear that Stanley Tucci has thoughts not only on acting and food, but also on the correct way for the two to come together. Well, here's the thing. You try to eat as little as possible because you're going to be shooting that scene most likely for 10 hours or some horrible thing. Usually there's a spit bucket. So you take a bite and then you're chewing and then they say cut and you go and spit out what's because you can't do it you know right right i think you had said at one point that you sort of have a pet peeve that when when actors or people on food tv take a bite of something that you can kind of tell they aren't really tasting it sometimes like totally and what is it about their reaction that you feel like gives that away it's too fast it takes a while to really taste something if i put something in my mouth that i've never tasted before there's a second when you're kind of thinking and registering what you're eating. Yeah, there's a moment. There's a pause. You have to take the time for it. It doesn't take that long. Right, right. It's about what? Four seconds? Yeah. yeah if that, yeah. Yeah. So so, so really your, your pet peeve is just bad acting on food TV. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. I've done a little bit of food TV, and I feel like I make all the mistakes that you just outlined, which is, number one, I take too big of a bite because I get very excited to eat anything. Oh, no, no. And I'm I'm a not I have zero acting skill or experience, so I'm not good at pretending. And I'm very conscious that the cameras are pointed at me. Right. Yeah. And so I'm like, okay, here's the spot. Here's the part where I'm supposed to take this bite of this thing and show everyone how good it is. And I just don't know how to do that. <laughs> um, so I always feel very foolish. Um, do you have any tips for me? Just take a take a little bite, pause, taste it, and then see what happens. Here, I have something right here. At this point, Stanley reaches just out of view of the zoom. It's a piece of salami, right? Of course, Stanley Tucci just happens to have a platter of salami nearby. So they go, if I go like this. Tiny bite. I put it. Chewing, thinking, yeah. pondering. Mm, now the flavors, I'm tasting the flavors. If I do this. Small bite. Oh my God, that's what they do. It's impossible. Right, right, right. Physically right. impossible. Okay. Well, this has been Stanley Tucci's <laughs> masterclass, How to Eat on Camera. Thank you so much. <laughs> Stanley doesn't just have a lot of experience and opinions about eating on camera. He's also got a lot to say about eating once the cameras are off. In his memoir, he writes about meals eaten on film sets all over Europe. And I was like, I want to hear more about that. He says, in England, the main staple is sausage on a roll, or as they call it, on a bap. You can put an egg in it, or bacon, a bacon butty, I think they call it. And when they're good, they're so good. 
Oh my God, they're so good. Right. And then when you were filming in France, they have white tablecloths on set. That was cool. That cannot be the way it is all the time. There's no way. But uh, and this experience with, I was observing Robert Altman make Pret-a-Porter. Wow. And that's what they had. I mean, they had this huge 18-wheeler that was set up like a big dining room. And they had waiters and white jackets and everything. And, they <laughs> said, and I was like, what's happening? It was so weird. And the food was amazing. We had wine. It was, it was great. Yeah, and then Italy, no, Italy's not good, which is weird because everybody just goes out and eats. But you said in Italy, all they, like, like when you sort of quote unquote place your order for lunch, they just ask you what kind of wine you're going to have. Yeah, that's all they say. Do you want red or white? You go red. So you might get a piece of lamb. And if you say white, you get chicken or fish. So you order the wine and then they pair the food. They pick the food to go with the wine. Yeah, and you get a little bottle, you know, like you get on the airplane. Like a little, a little mini bottle. Yeah. <laughs> Long before Stanley was an international film star, he was a 19-year-old kid waiting tables in an Italian restaurant in New York. When he started acting, it was first in the theater, and he saw parallels between the theater and the restaurant. We have backstage, right off stage, which would be the kitchen, and then we have on stage, which is the dining room. The behavior, what's going on backstage, what's going on in the kitchen, is the complete opposite of what's happening on stage in the dining room. Everything is controlled. You know, every cue is being picked up. Every mark is being hit. Every table is being served properly. Blah, blah, blah. And then backstage and in the kitchen, it's like a fucking, it's like an asylum. <laughs> um, <laughs> and that, I love that. I love that. You know, you'd be backstage going, I can't get this on. I can't get this on. Get this on. My fucking belt is caught. I'm trying to get it on. Like, I got it. I got it. And you walk out and go, hello, my dear. I'm so glad. <laughs> you thought I'd never come back, but I'm back. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> that dynamic basically describes Stanley's character in Big Night. It's widely considered to be one of the greatest food movies of all time. And as I said, Stanley co-wrote it. The film set in the 1950s. Stanley's character, Secondo, and his brother, played by Tony Shaloub, are Italian immigrants. They own a restaurant on the Jersey Shore. Stanley's character manages the front of the house, and he's constantly arguing with his brother, who's a great chef who refuses to cook the Americanized Italian food that their customers want. Primo, please, just, just make me a side order spaghetti, please. I want to know for who is it for? For the lady with the risotto. What? That is what she wants. That is what the customer asks for. How can she want? They both are starch. Maybe I should make a mashed potato for on the other side. Primo, look, don't, okay? Because they are the first customer to come in two hours. The fucking pipes No, she's a criminal. I want to talk to her. So Stanley's character is in the kitchen screaming at his brother, and then he transforms into a charming host as soon as he walks into the dining room. But business is not going well, and they need a way to turn things around. They hear that the famous singer Louis Prima is coming to their restaurant. So they decide to spend a bunch of money and throw a big party, hoping it'll attract customers. It's their last chance to save the restaurant. But it doesn't go as planned. The brothers have a huge fight. And by the next morning, it looks like they might have lost everything. The film ends with you cooking a frittata in silence. It's one shot, no cuts. What kind of preparation did you do to shoot that scene? I mean, two years prior to that or more, I learned how to do that. I learned how to make the frittata so it looked like I'd been doing it my whole life. It's incredibly simple. It's egg, oil, salt, 
bread. That's it. And there's a lot of nourishment in there too. And it's the only time you see my character eat throughout the entire film. He never eats. That's true. I hadn't, that had not occurred to me, but no. right. He only drinks because he's a wreck. Um, so he never touches food. And the, the fact that your character and Tony Shalhoub's character end up physically right next to each other with their arms over each other, like that's, that tells you all you need to know about the final scene. And not all you yeah. need to know, but like that's, it's that physical connection that, that concludes the movie. Yeah, it's the only time they touch each other, too. It's not, it's very different than most movies about Italians, where they're always hugging each other. And, no, these guys are, they never touch each other. They never hug each other. Only until the very end. And they don't even hug it. They sort of tentatively pat each other's shoulders and sort of put the arm out and rest it there kind of uncomfortably. Because that's more truthful. That frittata scene at the end is really beautiful. But when most people think of Big Night, they think about a different dish, timpano. It's layers of pasta, meat, cheese, sauce, eggs, and more, all wrapped in dough. When it comes out of the pot, it's the size of a slightly deflated basketball. In the film, when they serve the timpano to everyone at the party, all conversation stops. People are blown away. There are still articles about the timpano from Big Night coming out now, more than 20 years after the film. One YouTube video of how to replicate it has nearly 7 million views. Dr. Fauci loved Big Night so much that he makes timpano every Christmas. I think you get the idea. Everyone seems to love timpano from Big Night, right? Well, it's also a Christmas tradition in the Tucci household, but that doesn't mean everyone's a fan. Uh, a lot of people don't like it. That's a very strong flavors, and it's incredibly heavy. I love it. It's just, but the amount of salt in it, I mean, it's, it's a killer, that, that recipe. But I find it delicious. Kate did not care for it. Kate is Stanley's late wife. She died 12 years ago of cancer. When he met his current wife, Felicity, he was hoping she'd have a different opinion of the timpano. And Felicity doesn't care for it either. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, because you can't time the rest of the meal. It's very hard to time like a goose or a ham or whatever. Because the timpano is very fickle. So you just never know <laughs> when it's going to be ready. It has to rest. It is this. It is that, you know. It's funny. Sometimes I think of certain foods as being like, a, food, a dish that should be the star or like a, an ingredient within a dish that is the star of that dish. And then other times you, I think of a food that's more like an ensemble cast. Mm. You see Timpano as like the star of the meal and and Felicity is more more wants an ensemble cast. She wants Ocean's Eleven, you know, at Christmas. Yeah, yeah. Timpano is a one-man show. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. It's a really long monologue. Yeah, it's like a, it's like a Beckett piece. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, you talked a bit about Kate what, what was the role of food in your relationship with her well from the time we had our first date I realized that she really loved food and she was a really good cook we both loved cooking and eating and throwing dinner parties and having parties on the weekends having people over uh, we loved it are there certain foods that still remind you of her yeah, we have some of them in the book, cookbook that Felicity and I did. Um, it was Felicity's suggestion that we put in some of Kate's recipes, like her baked beans and 
these barbecue chicken wings that she used to make that were delicious and I can never make quite like she did. Um, but stuff like that, her, her blueberry muffins and things like that. She was really, she was a really good cook. Food is also a big part of Stanley's relationship with Felicity. When they were first dating, she made her grandmother's English roasted potatoes for him. Felicity said, I'll make some roast potatoes. I was like, yeah, great. And she took these potatoes, she peeled them, she boiled them. Then she dumped out the water and she shook them in the pot with the top on. And so they get all these kind of like fluffy edges, craggy edges. And then she puts them in a tray of goose fat. Then she carefully puts them in and sticks in the oven. But the oven is smoking like crazy. It was like, I was like, what are you doing? My parents, you know, people like alarms are going off and, and she goes, I'm making roast potatoes. <laughs> I was like, what, what? She goes, this is the way we make them in England. This is what you have for a Sunday. It's her grandmother's recipe. And then we ate them. And what happens to them as I don't know if you know, but they, you know, they get this crunchy crispiness on the outside and then inside, they're soft. So it's almost like, I think Ina Garden said the other day, she goes, we were talking about them because Emily, my sister-in-law, made them for Ina. And so it's like a French fry, like a chip, you know, what they call a chip here, on the outside. And then the inside is almost like a mashed potato. Yeah. It's, f- excuse me, but they are fucking incredible. It <laughs> <laughs> sounds really good, right? It's... It's about that contrast in textures. Yeah. Yeah. And that, especially you can do them in vegetable oil, but to do them in like goose fat or something is like even better. Right. Plus, it's just more fun. It's more fun. Yeah. To say like we we cook these in goose fat. It's just sort of like, I mean, if you know, you're basically royalty at that point. You're like, like it's, it's just yeah. it feels so decadent. You know, it's so like, decadent. It, it just, yeah. you know, you feel like you're treating yourself. I want to cook them in swan fat. <laughs> <laughs> Truly royal. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Clearly, food is a huge part of Stanley Tucci's life and his work. He's known as a public figure who takes a lot of pleasure in food. But as he recently revealed a few years ago, all that was nearly erased because Stanley almost lost the ability to taste altogether. We'll have that story after the break. Stick around. Hope you're hungry because it's time for some ads. In the Pashman household, we're already big fans of Tillamook shredded cheese. In fact, I used it in developing many recipes in my cookbook. And now I'm getting into their ice cream. Tillamook ice cream is made with more cream, so you get smooth and dreamy scoops each time. You may not realize it, but this is why a lot of the store-bought ice cream doesn't taste the same as what you get in, like, in an ice cream parlor. But with Tillamook, they don't skimp on the cream. These people know dairy, okay? Tillamook makes a great, rich vanilla ice cream with real crushed vanilla bean seeds. They have an Oregon strawberry, sweet strawberry ice cream with ripe Oregon strawberry pieces. The one that I really love is the mudslide flavor, a smooth chocolate ice cream with a ribbon of rich fudge and chocolatey chips. You want to move the spoon around to get fudgy and chocolatey chips and the ice cream all in the same bite each time, and it's just so, so nice. And like I said, I just trust Tillamook when it comes to dairy. They make over 200 different dairy products, and the brand is farmer-owned and led by dairy experts. Find Tillamook ice cream near you at Tillamook.com. That's T-I-L-L-A-M-O-O-K.com. I enjoy a nice glass of wine, but I don't pretend to be an expert in wine. I usually just want a wine that's high quality, delicious, and not too expensive. 
And to me, that's Bogle Family Vineyards. And here's the thing about Bogle. This is a third-generation family-owned winery from California that makes exceptional wines for about 10 bucks a bottle. Bogle wines consistently earn best buy designations and high ratings from wine enthusiasts. And let me tell you something. The folks at Wine Enthusiast, they drink a lot of wine. They drink a lot of fancy, expensive wine. And yet they still keep giving great ratings to Bogle. And Bogle Vineyards has so many different kinds of wine. Whatever your mood, whatever you're eating, there's a wine for you. They got this great Pinot Grigio that's crisp and fruity, goes well with spicy foods, with fish. They have a classic Chardonnay that's balanced, amazing with a pork tenderloin or butter chicken. I like to take that Chardonnay and do what Jacques Pepin taught me, a couple of ice cubes in your glass of Bogle. If Jacques Pepin says it's okay, then it's okay. And there's the Bogle Pinot Noir, refined and elegant with bright fruit and about as food-friendly as a red wine can be. You're not going to believe it's only $10. Neither will your friends if you tell them. So pick up a few bottles of Bogle wherever you buy your favorite wines. Please drink responsibly. Are you ready for warmer weather? I know I am. But is your wardrobe ready? I just stocked up on spring and summer clothing at Quince. And let me tell you something. I feel great about everything I got. I got a couple of short sleeve button down shirts, polo shirt, some shorts. Everything feels great. It's super high quality. And I can't believe how much stuff I got at a reasonable price. Quince has all the seasonal must-haves, like 100% European linen shirts from $30, performance polos, and versatile flow-knit activewear. The best part? All Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices, along with premium fabrics and finishes. Whatever you need for the spring and summer, Quince has your back. Upgrade your wardrobe. Go to quince.com slash sporkful for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash sporkful to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash sporkful. I just got a very wonderful shipment of goodies from the folks at Reese's. And let me tell you something. These people remain the absolute worldwide leaders in bringing together chocolate and peanut butter. Of course, we know that peanut butter cups remain transcendent. But have you tried the Reese's Sticks? Their wafers with peanut butter in between each wafer, all coated in chocolate? I mean, the combination of sweet chocolate and salty peanut butter just brings people joy, and the folks at Reese's do it better than anyone. So shop Reese's Peanut Butter Cups now at a store near you, found wherever candy is sold. Welcome back to The Sporkful. I'm Dan Pashman, and I'm getting ready to share some big pasta news. If you want all the latest updates as soon as they come in, make sure you're following me on Instagram. I'm at The Sporkful. You can follow me right now while you're listening. At The Sporkful Instagram. Thanks. Now back to my conversation with Stanley Tucci, whose new memoir is Taste, My Life Through Food. The book is full of stories from his career and meals eaten along the way. It also includes a new revelation, something he hadn't talked about publicly before. Four years ago, he started to feel a pain in his jaw. A dentist told him it was a tumor on the base of his tongue and that it might be cancerous. I almost fainted because, you know, I, I watched my wife die of cancer. And I watched her suffer through all the, the indignity of the horrible treatments. And I had vowed were I ever to get cancer, that I wouldn't do standard of care. Standard of care means the standard or recommended treatment, which in this case was radiation and chemotherapy. So Stanley put off getting it examined for months. When he finally did, the dentist confirmed it was oral cancer. The tumor had gotten so big that surgery wasn't possible. 
Stanley was told that radiation and chemo were the only option. Still, because of his late wife Kate's experience, he was reluctant. But Felicity and the doctor that we ended up talking to at Mount Sinai in New York convinced me that it was indeed the right thing to do. And when you looked at the statistics of this of this particular cancer, also the fact that it had not metastasized, which was a, a, a miracle, um, the cure rate was so high that you were like, you sort of like be an idiot if you didn't do it. Um, <clears throat> so I did it. For seven weeks, nearly every day, his head, neck, and shoulders were pinned down. He had to bite on a block to keep his mouth and tongue completely still as he received radiation and chemo. Doing that radiation is so damaging to you that your saliva disappears, your mouth is filled with ulcers and hypersensitive for months and months and months and months. Uh, you lose your taste buds, but we're actually, we're, I wish I'd lost my taste buds. He writes in his memoir that after weeks of treatment, anything he ate tasted like wet cardboard or worse. I had a feeding tube. I couldn't even drink water through my mouth. It hurt so much. You're on morphine, you're on fentanyl or whatever that stuff is. Uh, I lost 30, 35 pounds, something like that. I mean... You're completely atrophied. You're laying in bed for months and months at a time. You're so nauseous that you can't even think about moving. I couldn't read. I couldn't do anything. It was bad. It was bad. <laughs> it was bad. When you were laid up and in such, in, 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 like you said, in, in pain, unable to eat or drink or enjoy any kind of food, like, did you think about food? Were there foods you were missing? Yeah, I missed everything. But I couldn't bear if anybody came in and they had eaten and I smelled it on them. I would, I'd have to say, get out, get out of the room. Can't, don't. <laughs> it was bad. But did you say that, that you would sometimes watch cooking shows? Yeah, I watched cooking shows when I was in the hospital. When I was getting, I'd go every day for treatment, and then every few days I'd, you know, have to get, you know, fluids, but to stay hydrated. Um, and I would just watch cooking shows, which is weird. Well, you say it's weird, but I think it actually makes a certain amount of sense. Um, there's this famous experiment called the Minnesota Starvation Experiment. It was back in the 40s, and mm -hmm. they had these men who volunteered to be subjected to extreme starvation, and they became obsessed with food to the point that several of them, even after the experiment was over and they were able to go back to eating whatever they wanted, a lot of them actually switched careers and went into the food industry in some way. What? So the obsession with food didn't end even after they were no longer deprived. Whoa, that's amazing. That's really interesting. Yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, it makes I, it makes sense. I mean, I, I couldn't get enough of it because I wanted to be there again, you know? And if I couldn't have it, have it, at least I could watch it. After the feeding tube was removed, Stanley needed speech therapy. And for two years, he still couldn't eat anything spicy or drink anything carbonated. His mouth was too sensitive. He still wasn't producing enough saliva to eat certain other foods. All kinds of things he used to eat suddenly became choking hazards. Even today, he still has to be careful. This piece of salami and, and a cracker, <laughs> that's a very bold move for me to attempt to eat that to this day. 
three years later because it's not, there's no moisture. So the salami has moisture from the fat, right? But this is like... The cracker's dry. Yeah. Do you remember the moment that you ate a meal and were able to enjoy it in a way that you hadn't been able to enjoy it for so long? I think it was probably going to this restaurant near my house where he makes a nice gnocchi with pesto and string beans. And it was nice because it's quite moist and the gnocchi is very soft and I could really taste everything. And I was with my friend Colin Firth. We went and it was very exciting. (laughs) And it worked. I tasted it and I was able to swallow it. It took a while, but I did it. And so, but when you you had that first meal where you're like, I'm back. How did that yeah. feel? It, you're, you're back, but you know you're not back. Right. <laughs> you know you're not. Because also it's sort of, sort of the next day, you can't do it. Right. But the next day, you can. It's very, very slow, tiny baby steps to get there. Is there a food out there that's sort of like your holy grail that like you still don't feel like you've worked your way up to be able to enjoy, but like one of these days then you'll really know you're 100%. I would love to be able, and I've done it a little bit, but love to be able to have like a really nice aged T-bone steak and just sort of tear into it. (laughs) (laughs) And, And just really eat it and just talk and eat as opposed to taking it, very carefully chewing it making sure there has enough sauce or whatever. And then, you know, because it takes me a while to get through that. So things for Stanley are still not 100% normal, but his cancer treatment has been successful and he can get pleasure and comfort from food again and from drinks. It took a long time, but he can enjoy his beloved martinis again. In fact, on movie sets, that's the drink he's best known for. He travels with his own martini kit. When the Negroni video went viral, Chris Evans shared it on Twitter, writing... I love Stanley Tucci. Most days after we finished filming on the first Captain America movie, Stanley would make us martinis in his trailer. He's an absolute gem. I asked Stanley to share his recipe. It's really simple. You just take like a half a shot of good vermouth, dry vermouth, put it in a beaker of ice filled with ice, give it a good stir, let it sit, give it a good stir, dump it out. Put in your vodka or your gin, a few shots, Stir it, sit, stir it, sit, stir it, sit, pour it, garnish. That's it. So, but you're really just like barely coating the inside of the shaker with vermouth. Yeah. Yeah. You're you're, you're not actually pouring any directly into the drink. No. Unless people want it, but uh, I prefer it that way. At the end of a long day of shooting, Stanley doesn't just make martinis for Captain America. I love like being in the makeup trailer. Like it's fun. Everybody's chatting and you're making jokes and you're getting ready and whatever. And then at the end of the day, going to the makeup trailer, you get your stuff off. You're chatting about the day. You're chatting about this, and then uh, you make a cocktail in there, and it's and it's nice. Or I invite you know people who come into the trailer and you know have a drink before they you know before they go home. So and it's really nice. Just a nice way to end to end the day. Yeah, it is a nice way to end the day. Is there a part of having that drink at the end of a day of shooting that is part of kind of like getting out of your character for you? When I was doing this one movie, yeah, because it was really painful to do the movie, The Lovely Bones. 
In The Lovely Bones, Stanley plays a serial killer. So it's a dark film. And you just needed, um, yeah, you just needed to, it, once you take all the makeup off and all the stuff I had on and the fat suit and the teeth and the whatever, all that sort of awful awfulness that you are accessing. You have a cocktail while you're doing that and it's just, every, everything just disappears. That's Stanley Tucci. His memoir is Taste My Life Through Food. You can also check out his CNN show, Searching for Italy. Coming up next week, I go hunting for pawpaws. They taste like something tropical, but they're actually North America's largest native fruit. It's nearly impossible to find them in stores, and there's a whole subculture of pawpaw nerds who share secrets on where to forage for them and the best ways to use them. We're going to dig deep on that next week. And if you're looking for more Sporkful episodes to listen to, check out last week's episode where I go to Prince's Hot Chicken in Nashville. You know, hot chicken's become a hot trend, but when a food invented by black people becomes so popular, who benefits? We explore that question and more in last week's show, Up Now, wherever you got this one. This show is produced by me, along with senior producer... Emma Morgenstern. And producer... Andres O'Hara. Our editor is... Tracy Samuelson. The show is mixed by... Jared O'Connell. Music help from Black Label Music. The Sporkful is a production of Stitcher. Our executive producers are Peter Clowney and Daisy Rosario. Until next time, I'm Dan Pashman. And I'm Alicia in Vermont, reminding you to eat more, eat better, and eat more better. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. Bada ba ba ba. At participating McDonald's.